from Portland, it's the Fox 12 Weather Podcast. This week, the team recaps the devastating wildfires in Oregon. They'll also talk megafires, thunderstorms, and give you a sneak peek at our La Nina winter. Now, here they are, Brian McMillan, Mark Nelson, and Jeff Forgeron. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Fox 12 Weather Podcast. This is episode number six. I'm joined by meteorologist uh, Jeff Forgeron and meteorologist. Well, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Chief meteorologist Mark Nelson and I'm meteorologist Brian McMillan. Hey, guys. Hey, uh, hey. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing great. We got a lot to talk about this week after uh, quite a doozy of a past couple of weeks that we've had here in Oregon. Let's get right to it with our local headlines. The news headlines are next. Here's what's happening right now. All right, first up, the number of fatalities from Oregon's recent wildfires has now increased to nine people. Fires continued to rage across the West Coast, especially down in California. Things are settling down a bit here in Oregon, though. Uh, So far, uh, 27 large wildfires continue to burn in 2,460 square miles across Oregon and Washington. Right now, there are currently 13 large fires in Oregon right now above 100 acres. Five people are still uh, reported missing. 2,700 people are being provided shelter by the American Red Cross. And this is uh, amazing. About 2,300 Oregon homes have been destroyed by the wildfires, as well as 1,500 other structures. That is according to the Oregon Office of Emergency Management. Wow, big numbers right there, you guys. Let's let's recap this fire now that things are settling down. We have more rain on the way today. We're uh, we are uh, doing this podcast, recording this podcast on Wednesday. Uh, Mark, uh, how does this compare? And, and just you know, over the past couple of weeks, this has been mm-hmm. uh, something else. It, yeah, we've never seen anything like this in uh, Oregon. Such an outbreak of large fires altogether. We're going to talk more about that a little bit later. How it compares to things, you know, maybe going back a hundred years. So uh, stick around for that. But. Just the latest numbers, you've got the the three the triangle of three big fires up in the Cascades, in the North Oregon Cascades, the Riverside Fire, the Beachy Creek Fire, and the Lion's Head Fire. Uh, you've got 138,000 acres, 193,000, and the Lion's Head Fire just went over, uh, it's up to 203,000 as of today. The good news on all those fires that you just mentioned, Brian, in the last 24 hours, only one fire has made any sort of significant growth. Most of the fires across the region are just kind of creeping along an acre or two extra uh, per day, but it grew about 4,000 acres yesterday over on the east side of the Cascades where we haven't seen much rain. So that's those three big fires. And then you've got the Holiday Farm Fire, which was down in the McKinsey River Valley. That's uh, sitting there at 173,000 acres. And the fifth, uh, what we would call a mega fire, and again, we'll talk more about this in a few minutes, but um, that big fire, the Archer Creek Fire, east of Roseburg, glide to about Steamboat on the North Umpqua River drainage area. That's about 132,000 acres. So you combine all that together, you got about almost 900,000 acres uh, has burned just in those massive Cascade wildfires. So that's huge and stuff. That, and that's, that's just in September. Like that is only in September, yeah. right? That's amazing. Brian, out of those five fires I just mentioned, only one of them uh, was had any sort of significant acreage before Labor Day evening. That was the Lion's Head Fire. It was Remember, I was on the other side of the Cascades, burning mainly in the Warm Springs Reservation. I think that was maybe, I want to say like 20,000 acres over on the east slopes of the Cascades at that point. So all that other acreage, the other 810,000, for example, happened in the last two weeks. It was I remember a two the week, Beachy Creek yeah. Fire was really small. 
And, uh, yes. you know, they, we weren't too worried about that one, actually, just because of uh, the fact that it was so small. I, I know our eyes back in August were on the, the uh, lion's head fire because that was kind of in a difficult area to fight the fire and all of that. But it was away from a lot of homes and, and uh, buildings. You know, I, I saw an account. It was uh, on YouTube. Now, I know you can't believe everything you see on social media and YouTube, right? But it was a fire commander talking, I think, two days after the blazes got going. And he, w- he was from the uh, Gates area. I think it was the Beachy Creek uh, a fire commander, you know, somebody high up that was giving a briefing. And he said the reason they couldn't uh, deal with that small fire when it was either 20 up to about 400 acres, you know, for two weeks, it was so inaccessible they did not want to drop hot shots into that area. So they kept dousing it with water constantly to keep it cool for weeks. And then, of course, the wind took over and, and you know, they knew it was going to be a huge issue. So, yeah, they, they were trying to put it out. But, um, yeah, I'm sure there'll be lots of discussion about that coming up in the future. I, I remember right before Labor Day, Mark, you were – I think you said this behind the scenes to us, that you were concerned that specifically the Lion's Head Fire, which was basically east of the crest of the Cascades, you were worried it was going to come right over the top and into the west given the forecast with such an anomalous east wind early in the season. And sure enough, I mean, they made – quite the run at our population zones you know that just seems amazing you know back then it seemed ridiculous to say such a thing right like oh yeah like it's going to cross over the cascades and come down to detroit but that's what it did and uh, brian you and i were talking about this i think yesterday or the day before um the morning of the the east wind labor day morning a small fire started at right up in mount hood meadows at within the ski area and uh, that was, I think, maybe just a few acres at the time. And the east wind hadn't arrived yet. And remember, we were all thinking, like, oh, this is bad. Well, I remember it started around, I think, 11 o'clock, 1030, sure. somewhere in there. It was right before the noon show. So, uh, you know, I, I jumped onto Meadows' website. They have all these web cameras. Mm-hmm. And you could actually see the fire burning on one of them. And it looked fairly small. And, and you could see them doing water drops. Apparently, they did, like, 30 water yes. drops to try and put that thing out. And they did. Because if they didn't, when that east wind kicked in, that could have moved that all the way to government camp. Yeah, we talked about there was no reason that we couldn't have had a setup where that came right around the south side of Mount Hood. Just like those, it could have been the sixth large fire and gone right through government camp all the way down to Welch's. So we got really lucky. And remember, we also got lucky. That whole area, west slopes of Mount Hood down to Sandy, didn't have any, actually, I don't think any fires that I, I'm aware of, at least no significant fires, because maybe because PGE cut the power in that whole area. How many uh, fires, I mean, how, how, how many have been determined were caused by arson or caused by accident, you know, power lines down, et cetera? That's, you a, guys know? that's a good question. A bunch of them say unknown. I think it is assumed that the, um, that, well, Lion's Head, we know was from lightning on the Warm Springs Reservation. Beachy right. Creek, I think they don't know what started it, although it was in a really remote area, no roads or anything. That may have been lightning way back in mid, mid-August. Holiday Farm, boy, that started right in Blue River as the wind hit. So I think it's maybe assumed that that one was probably power lines because on the Beachy Creek fire, that fire commander in that video I watched, he said the night of the wind, Labor Day evening, all around Gates and Mill City, power lines were falling into trees. So he said actually the Beachy Creek fire didn't come down into those areas. He said multiple fires suddenly formed in, in several hours during the night and just conglomerated into one big fire. So... I think a lot of it isn't known yet. Um, same with the Archie Creek fire down near Roseburg. A lot of these say cause unknown. I think we're probably going to end up finding out that there were um, a lot of power lines into trees. But we also know that there were some arson fires. But as far as I'm aware, 
nobody is saying right now that any of these large fires came directly from arson. Pretty wild stuff. And of course, these fires uh, just pumped out a lot of smoke, uh, so much so that it was kind of stuck in an inversion here in the, the valleys. For about a week and a half, we were stuck under very unhealthy to hazardous air, uh, as determined by the uh, air quality index. But wow, uh, it was that's the worst I've ever been in as far as smoke goes when you go outside and it's not just smells like a campfire, but it's tough to breathe. It was terrible. It, I've never seen anything like that in my not only my career, but living here all the way back since the mid 70s. Nothing like that has occurred. I think the timing was so interesting, too, because we were going right into fall. The sun angle is changing, so it's a little bit harder for the sun and the, the mixing to break that inversion. But something that none of us saw coming and then we were realizing throughout the process was that smoke created its own little weather setup right underneath it. It was staying so cool. The wind wasn't picking up. There was no temperature difference really between the coasts and the, the valleys, and it was it was a nightmare. I mean... It was so hard. None of our models were really able to pick up how this was going to play out. Right. And it turned out that we, we basically had to turn on the satellite every morning and kind of diagnose how it was going to play out because the models were not giving us much much clues at all. And not to get too all. much in the weeds here, but I, you know our, our smoke models depend on the weather models, but our weather models were not doing too hot because of the smoke. So we were kind of in the dark there for a few days. We were trapped in a dark, cool circle. Yeah, it was, it was really weird. And, you know, we, people have talked about the, the leaves around. A lot of gardens and leaves seemed to have suddenly changed about that time. It was quite a shock to go from sunny, warm 80s and 90s to cool, smoky, foggy. I mean, kind of like a nuclear winter would be, you know, where it's you're just so much haze that, uh, haze and smoke that the energy is not getting down here. It's like the, the plants were suddenly shocked. Well, and I think it took a turn that none of us were expecting, 2020 at least did. We, you know, just speaking more broadly to the smoke, we've all been isolating and trying to stay safe with the virus. But then the smoke comes around and you can't even get outside to, you know, get your dog a walk, you know, or it was just unbelievable. Even the though animals were going crazy. My wife was going crazy for sure. <laughs> oh, that's not good. <laughs> she, you know, she had her backyard there for a while. You know, things were fine during the pandemic. You know, we did the yard up. But then when she couldn't even get out in the backyard, that's when things got a little it took a turn here at my house. <laughs> oh, geez. Yeah, it was just a really uh, rough time. You know, but every time we complained, I remember at home, I was out of power for three days. And uh, each time I thought of, oh, gosh, this is ridiculous. I thought of all those people that lost their homes yeah, and lives. Exactly. Yep. Right. And the stories. So, yeah, if you have a home, you're in good shape. Exactly. Yeah, there's so many stories out there, stories of bravery and stories, uh, just harrowing stories and uh, a lot of sadness out there as well. as amazing driving through. Uh, the town of Mahama, which I uh, got to do for one of my stories. And it was on this uh, block where there were 30 homes at one point, but there were nine of them left. And it was mm. so random which homes the fire decided to take and which which homes the fire left there. So, uh, yeah, uh, it's amazing talking to the people out there. Most of them say, hey, we're coming back. We're going to we're gonna rebuild. I think a lot of people out in that area of the San Diego Canyon feel that way. And then uh, last Thursday night and into Friday morning, we finally got some relief. And uh, this was uh, just such a welcome sight to have some thunderstorms roll through and some rain. Now, usually when you talk about thunderstorms, you think, oh, lightning fires it's not a good combination but these ones really helped kind of uh, settle things down 
Yeah, we were under a fairly rare slight risk. I mean, we see the, the Storm Prediction Center issue slight risks or even a moderate risk. I believe, no, there was an enhanced risk earlier this year. Remember that east of the Cascades this summer? Mm-hmm. Um, we had some pretty impressive supercells, but um, west of the Cascades, it's a little more rare. And I'm sure, Mark, you can kind of you know elaborate on that. But just speaking from my experience, Thursday night into Friday morning, sure enough, you know the Storm Prediction Center and the National Weather Service nailed it. There were about one, two, three cells that kind of took on supercell characteristics, came right up the Willamette Valley. One was severe warned. It was about, I believe, 2 to 3 a.m. in the morning, um, which means that the storm got to the point where they were estimating wind speeds were greater or wind, wind gusts were greater than 58 miles per hour. So they issue a severe thunderstorm warning on it um, for a fairly populated area. It was just east of Salem, and it was moving right up to the north, and a handful of people had flooding from the, these downpours. I mean, it was a pretty juicy air mass. And not to mention, the light show probably caught most of our attention. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, the, the lightning around the metro area was impressive. We don't get that very often around here. And it, it, it had been mm. a while. It had been a while since, uh, and, and my house was shaking. My daughter, I don't know how she slept through the whole thing, but uh, <laughs> everybody else in my house woke up. You know, I was nuts. You know, to show how weird we are, um, the night before, I knew this was like one of the two big chances this summer. We had something similar at the end of May. And I said to my wife, I go, okay, you know, I'm leaving. It was warm, too. We were going to have a warm night because of the cloud cover. So I said, I'm leaving the windows open. And the, the drapes, the, the blinds are going to be wide open because, you know, I'm, I'm a weather nerd. I want to wake up if there's lightning even approaching. So she goes, yeah, forget that. I'm going to the guest room. <laughs> so she goes, you're on your own. Ah. I, I'm not interested in that stuff. So, um, but anyway, yeah, I woke up, I live way out on the east side. And so way out on the east side, uh, we were out of the thunderstorm area. So I never got anything other than sprinkles. And there was a bunch of flashing to the west and kind of, you know, low rumbling pretty frequently. So I kind of missed out, but I did get nailed in May. So, you know, often the whole metro area doesn't get the exact same weather with thunderstorms because they're relatively small, but I missed out. It was a little fun, I gotta say. I mean, it was, <laughs> even though it woke us all up in the middle of the night, it was pretty fun. It well, looked like fun. You know what was a lot of fun was that morning on Good Day Oregon, just watching our AQI, our air quality index values dropping. Oh, what a relief! How um, nice. Yeah. So. Yeah, things are so much better now. We're back into the good category. Let's talk mm. a little bit now that we're kind of past some of these wildfires. We have a big, juicy system hitting us today because, again, we're recording this on Wednesday, and we're going to stick with rain the next couple of days. Let's talk about what we call megafires. And megafires are fires, uh, wildfires that are over 100,000 acres. And they're not as common as you think, at least in recorded history. Mark, you, you and I okay. did a little research on this, so let's get to it. Yeah, I've got some shocking numbers for you. Okay, so in the last 100 years, uh, we had six megafires over and west of the Cascades. So we're only talking from the crest of the Cascades, you know, in the forested part of the Cascades, from there westward all the way, you know, Oregon includes southwest Oregon, you know, like um, Grants Pass, the Medford area, all those areas. So we've had six megafires during that time. There were three, one, two. There were th- define define yeah. a megafire for our viewers. Really 100,000 acres or more. Okay, burn. So there were, uh, the Tillamook burn, which is often referenced, was actually three different fires. There was a fourth, smaller one, but uh, they called it the six-year curse because there was one in 33, 1933. It was like 240,000 acres. And then there was one in 1939, 
Then there was another big one in 1945, right at the end of uh, World War II, and they thought maybe that could have been the Japanese, um, the firebombs that they sent on the jet stream, but uh, I don't think it was confirmed to be that. So then, uh, so that was three huge fires. That was three of the mega fires right there. In between, in 1936, there was the Great Bandon Fire, which was almost 300,000 acres, destroyed the town of Bandon. Easterly wind, all these have the hot easterly wind set up. All right? So you get to 1945, and we've had four, right? You go 50 years, we don't get a single mega fire. The next mega fire is in, I think it's 2002. It's the Sour Biscuit or the Biscuit Fire down in southwest Oregon, kind of that, that uh, wilderness area between Brookings and Cave Junction and Grants Pass. Uh, that was a 500,000-acre fire. That was the biggest uh, uh, of the recorded history, at least, in, in the 1900s, I should say. Um, and then, so that's 2002. So then we go another 15 years until we see another mega fire over and west of the Cascades. That was... Uh, Wait, I just lost it. Twenty seventeen. Eagle Creek. No, no. Eagle Creek in the gorge was only uh, fifty thousand acres only. But oh, yeah, we right, had another yeah. mega fire. I'm sorry, that was down in the southwest part of the state. Again, that was a Chetco Bar fire in 2017. I remember that one putting out lots of smoke. The satellite pictures of the smoke coming out over Northern California. All right, so that's six, right? Four, and then two more. Then we just had five this year, within two weeks of each other. That all happened at the same time. One hundred thousand to two hundred thousand acres. So clearly, you know, something has changed, and I'm sure this will be argued about, you know, for years to come. There's, uh, it's got to be forest management plus climate change. And we had an extreme event. Everything went wrong this time because we had the, uh, we were at almost, rec we were just about at record low uh, fuel dryness indexes in the North Cascades. I looked at the numbers, the, uh, what we call the thousand hour fuels, the, the eight inch and larger logs. They were at the, just about the lowest on record. So we were at the driest it could possibly be. And then Cliff Mass up at UW, he did a great, uh, he did a great blog recently, and he noted, he went back and looked at the, uh, the gridded data back to 1950 of the atmosphere overhead, and he noticed that this was the strongest easterly event west slopes of the Oregon Cascades uh, since 1950, a two-day event, strongest easterly event uh, in July, August, or September. So. Wow. Those two came together, and everything went wrong, and we got five more mega fires in one year. And imagine this, too. If that same setup, same exact setup, let's say, happened next week, it would not have been as big of a deal. No, because not at all. Because we would have all this rain in the forest. The, but the because, window. Yeah, yeah, it's just it happened at the worst time possible, and it was the perfect setup for, a, for a massive wildfires. Yeah. Yeah, the the window is so small, it feels like up here. We, we get rain until sometimes early mid-summer so we only have so long to dry out and then the east wind comes at a certain time um you just wonder how more frequent this is going to become or is it an anomaly you know? we are seeing a pattern here and and uh you know mark you talked about it a little bit uh, just having so few over the course of a century and then having a lot more catching up here uh, in the 2000s we didn't talk about the fires east of the cascades as well but those have certainly increased uh, those mega fires over the past 20 years. They have. I looked at that. I was a little more skeptical of some of those numbers because I wondered if in the early 19, early to mid-1900s, you know, 100,000-acre range fires maybe weren't considered as important. I, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I just stuck to over and west of the Cascades. That shows how historic this east wind event was. And uh, it also shows that, um, you know, our summers have been, the second half of summers especially, have been getting warmer 
here uh, west and over the over the Cascades and westwards. So, yeah. Warmer equals more evaporation, which means usually drier fuels. Drier fuels and um, yeah, warmer temps. Before we get into La Nina, let's move on here to uh, the storm that we're seeing, well, today, and that will continue here over the next couple of days. Uh, What are we looking at here with the forecast, guys? Looks wet. (laughs) Well, by the time people (laughs) listen, by the the time you listen to this podcast, whether it's uh, Wednesday evening, whether it's Thursday morning, whether it's Friday, we've got a three-day, this is opening up a three-day period of wet weather. We're going to, we, I figure we get three quarters to... In the valleys, three quarters to an inch and a quarter of rain total out of the next three days. To me, it looks like um, this evening, like uh, once again, it's possible you may have already endured this by the time you uh, listen to this podcast, but this Wednesday evening, and then again, Friday looks pretty wet. Friday looks, Brian nailed it yesterday. What did you say, Brian, about Friday? I, I It's just kind of a dreary, crappy day. It's yes. just one of those, yeah, yeah. Yes. Where it's kind of just raining drizzly or, or you know, just raining all day. Is, is I wish you could see like. Mark pumping his fist like that's exactly right. <laughs> we can't <laughs> say that on TV typically, but uh. I have said snotty weather, pretty <laughs> snotty weather. Yeah, it's Friday just looks like it's uh, my my elderly mother. I take her shopping, you know, every once in a while, and that seemed like a good day to do that to be indoors shopping with mom. That's a great idea. Am I a good son? <laughs> You're great. Yes, <laughs> taking your grand or your mom shopping. That's very nice, Mark. Uh, let's talk about uh, La Nina here because uh, it's been officially declared by NOAA that we're going to be in a La Nina winter. Uh, we're going to do a full podcast on this coming up here in early October. But let's let's give uh, our listeners a little sneak peek at what that might mean here for the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, we'll keep it real basic. We are under now NOAA during the, uh, the smoke week, the fire week. They officially said, okay, we're under a La Nina advisory, which means... Uh, we have cooling in the Central Pacific. It looks like it's here to stay for this winter. That's a Central Tropical Pacific. And um, it's probably going to be a weak to moderate La Nina. And um, it looks like it's going to stick around through the winter, which in these winters, each one is different. And, and like I said, we'll talk a lot more about this. I think maybe we could do a full La Nina podcast in in, um, in October. But basically, we tend to be a little cooler and a little wetter than average in, in winters here in the Pacific Northwest. And the biggest effect is we tend to have much better mountain snowfall in these winters. Okay. No ski areas giving me a free pass telling me to say that, just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> and then the rain, uh, we, we do tend to get more rain in the lowlands in these winters as well. Not necessarily horrifically stormy. We can't predict there is going to be a windstorm on December 10th this year, and it's going to be the worst in 30 years. I mean, we cannot predict that sort of stuff way ahead of time. Same thing with snowstorms. We don't know that. Everything has to line up just right or, depending on your point of view, just wrong to get a snowstorm here in the lowlands. But uh, we'll see about that. We seem to have a slightly better chance of getting snow in the lowlands in these winters. All right. That's exciting. And, and again, we'll cover that here in, in our next podcast coming up here in early October. And uh, Jeff, what are you doing here the rest of the day today? Oh, you know, ironing some shirts for the the upcoming week. I've been off for a few days, so you'll see me on Good Day Oregon uh, Thursday through Sunday. Um, you know, just part of the routine. Got to get the laundry done, everything prepared. It's it's a weird, it's just a weird shift. You have to go to bed at about six o'clock, seven o'clock at night. Alarm goes off at about one thirty in the morning. Um, it takes a lot of getting used to and discipline. If you don't go to bed early, it throws your entire morning off. So that's kind of what I'm focused on right now, trying to get my week prepared. But um, all in all, I'm really you know looking forward to actually utilizing the radar more now that we're heading into fall. Um, 
it's been turned off for quite some time. So, <laughs> so the key message here is, folks, tune in. Good day, Oregon, Thursday morning, and find a freshly pressed Jeff ready to go. There yes. you go. That's there right. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Start it up, baby. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. We're gonna t- uh, we're gonna be off next week, but uh, we'll be back the week after. And uh, in the meantime, enjoy this beautiful rainfall and the clean air. How about that? Absolutely. Yep. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks, Brian. Do you have a weather question? Call 503-548-6484 and leave a message. It could be featured on a future episode. If you haven't already, subscribe to the Fox 12 Weather Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Head to kptv.com for the latest forecast and weather information for your area. 